have a problem every year around MLK Day because Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. for some reason has been treated as America's civil rights mascot. On this day, you'll have folks who would have never in their life marched with, agreed with, voted with anything he believed in. One of the biggest, biggest in the United States Congress, he had the audacity to send out a Dr. King quote. The march has begun. And good evening. My name is Sharon Hinton. I'm the producer and the host of On Another Level. Welcome. In case you didn't know it, there's an election. There's always an election in Boston. And this year, unfortunately, there may be another low turnout because it's not a big one, like the governor or the president. It is the city council, though, at large and district city council. We'll be right back. We want to tell you why it's so important to vote. If you have not registered, shame on you. If you have registered and you're going to vote, thank you. If you've already voted, like some people who early voted, thank you so much and congratulations. You have contributed to the democratic process. And we are doing the same thing here on community television, BNN Media. My name is Sharon Hinton, and this is On Another Level. Stay with us. Memories of demanding voting rights are still vivid for civil rights pioneer C.T. Vivian. We were murdered for the right to vote because they wanted to keep us under constraint. Despite the dangers, Vivian and others were on a mission to get blacks registered and voting in Selma, Alabama. You can't keep anyone in the United States from voting. For weeks, Vivian led dozens of blacks to the courthouse in Selma in a campaign known as nonviolent direct action. Until you had the vote, and, uh, and showed that you desired it, uh, that was what was most meaningful. This courthouse does not belong to Sheriff Clark. This courthouse belongs to the people of Dallas County. Vivian took on Sheriff Jim Clark and admitted racists who enforced local laws that denied blacks voting rights. So he turned his back on me and uh, started to walk, uh, walk away. And, uh, and I told him, I said, you can turn your back on me but you cannot turn your back upon the idea of justice. So he decided to do what he always does, is beat people. He really, really hit me right across the face. We're willing to be beaten for democracy, and you misuse democracy in the street. A turning point came in March 1965, a peaceful voting rights protest in Selma turned violent when Alabama State Police attacked unarmed demonstrators on a day known as Bloody Sunday. You are ordered to disperse. This march will not continue. John Lewis, now a U.S. congressman, led the march. They came toward us, beating us with nightsticks, shrimping us with horses, releasing the tear gas. I was hit in the head by a state trooper with a nightstick. I had a concussion at the bridge. Can we have somebody take somebody to a doctor? I thought I was going to die. I thought I saw death. Images of the attack caused a national outcry. A few days after the violent confrontation, civil rights demonstrators got court approval to march again from Selma to Montgomery. Martin Luther King Jr. came by to visit me in my hospital room and said, John, don't worry, we will make it from Selma to Montgomery and the voting rights act will be passed. All the way from Selma town. King led tens of thousands of marchers to Alabama's capital in support of voting rights. I know you're asking today, how long will it take? How long? Not, Not long. long. Not long. In just a few months, Congress passed and President Lyndon Johnson signed the Voting Rights Act into law on August 6, 1965, giving federal enforcement to the 15th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. By the end of 1965, there were 250,000 new black registered voters. These civil rights pioneers say they're satisfied the sacrifices made by so many five decades ago paid off. 
making the nation better. Chris Simpkins, VOA News, Selma, Alabama. And welcome back. I'm your host, Sharon Hinton. I um, want to let you know that I'm a super voter. I vote all the time, like all the time. Preliminary, preliminary elections, um, major elections, special elections, I vote. And so because I vote, I get a lot of mail at my house. I get people knocking on my door. I'm on lists that people pay for to try to sway me one way or the other. Full disclosure, I'm an independent. So, you know, in the United States, there's not too many um, parties that you can belong to. Democratic, Green Party, Republican, Independent, Libertarian. I don't know all of them, but that's a few of them, right? And tonight is the night before election here in Boston. So voting on election day, and I'm going to be reading this because I want to make sure I get this right. You could cast your ballot, as always, on election day at your designated polling location. The polls are open from 7 a.m. until 8 p.m. If you come at 8.01, you cannot vote. If you come before 7, you have to wait in line. But you have from 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. to cast your vote. The city has approved a new council district map for 2024, which means you may be voting for a councilor in a different district than the last election. So you should go to the city of Boston, cityboston.gov, um, and you can go to the election department and you can put your address in and it'll show you where you're supposed to vote. Also, Boston's elections are nonpartisan, meaning you will not see party affiliations on this particular ballot. Here's what you need to know. There's at-large races, there's district council races. They're all city councilor. Voters can select up to four at-large candidates. Four, count them. One, two, three, four. So you have five votes when you go to the polls tomorrow. Four at-large city councilors and one district city councilor. So Julia Mejia is one of the people that are running. She's an incumbent. She lives in Dorchester. She's been a city councilor since 2020. Before that, she ran an advocacy group focused on equity and education. She's the first Afro-Latina member of the council. Mejia moved to Dorchester with her family from the Dominican Republic at the age of five. Where the candidate stands. Now, this is what WBUR put together, not me. So, Mejia is one of the more left-leaning members of the council. This is what BUR says. I don't say that necessarily, but the views and opinions, okay. She supports bringing back rent control and has advocated for increasing the city's inclusionary development policy to require large housing projects to include at least 50% affordable housing. Mejia has also pushed for a fully elected school committee and more transparency from the Boston Police Department. If reelected, Mejia says she wants to focus on supporting Boston's inaugural participatory budget process, and building infrastructure for decision-making models on the council. That's a lot. So if you are anywhere in the city of Boston, you probably have gotten some of her literature. You definitely can Google her, Julia Mejia, who's an, who's an incumbent running for at-large city council. Now another incumbent, Ruth C. Louis-Jean, she lives in Hyde Park. What the candidate does. The daughter of Haitian immigrants, Louis Jeanne, has been a counselor since 2022. City councilor appointments are only for two years. Okay? Before that, by the way, the city council um, term ends in December of 2023. So she was elected in 2022. The election is now to see who's going to be in office in 2024. You with me? Follow me? Okay, so anyway, let me go back. The daughter of Haitian immigrants, Louis Jun, has been a counselor since 2022. Before that, the native of Hyde Park in Mattapan was a lawyer focused on housing and voting rights and was an aide on Senator Elizabeth Warren's, <clears throat> excuse me, presidential campaign in 2020. 
where the candidate stands. Louise Jeanne says she cares deeply about addressing the city's housing needs, both in the rental market and the home ownership market. While she supported Mayor Michelle Wu's rent control ordinance, Louise Jeanne has also focused on first-generation home ownership programs for communities that historically have been excluded and pressed for more affordable housing development on public land. On education, Louis Jeanne wants to hire more social workers and guidance counselors to help BPS students and families navigate life during school and after graduation. So she is an incumbent. There are four at-large city councilors. Michael Flaherty, who is an incumbent who's been there for a long time, is not running for re-election. So I've read you two of them, Julia Mejia, at-large city councilor incumbent. The next one, Ruthie Louis-Jeanne, is an incumbent at-large city council. I'm going to read you another one. Erin Murphy, she's an incumbent. She lives in Dorchester. What the candidate does. Murphy has been a city councilor since 2022. Again, kind of a newbie, been in there like a year and a half. Before that, the Dorchester native worked in the Boston Public Schools as a teacher and special education coordinator for over 20 years. Not a newbie there. Where the candidate stands. Murphy has developed a reputation as one of the more moderate members of an increasingly progressive council. This is WBUR saying this, this is not me. The former teacher has focused on improving public schools, fighting the scourge of addiction and public safety with an emphasis on community policing. She has been at odds with the Wu administration on housing issues like rent control. On housing, she has supported efforts to build affordable units on city-owned vacant lots. That doesn't sound so in opposition, but this is what they wrote, WBUR. So now we get some newbies. So those are three incumbents out of the four. Remember, there were four. It was Michael Flaherty, Aaron Murphy, Ruthie Vlajun, and Julia Mejia. Now there's three that are running because Michael Flaherty has dropped out, right? So you have Aaron Murphy, who's already in there, who wants to be reelected. Ruthie Louis-Jean, who's already in there, wants to be elected. And Julie Mejia, who's already in there, wants to be reelected. Now, here come the newbies. Henry Santana, where the candidate lives. Dorchester, what the candidate does. And can you put in the call-in um, sign up there, please? Because I want to see if we've got some people out there paying attention and if you are registered to vote and who you're thinking about voting for. What the candidate does, Santana was born in the Dominican Republic and moved to Boston as a child, growing up in public housing in Mission Hill. Prior to his campaign, he was the director of Mayor Michelle Wu's Office of Civic Organizing and an aide to former city councilor Kenzie Bach. Kenzie Bach is now the head of the BHA, the Boston Housing Authority. But there was a special election, and they already have somebody in there for her spot. Where the candidate stands. If elected, Santana says addressing the city's shortage of affordable housing would be a top priority. Everybody's saying that. He supports bringing back rent control in Boston. Everybody's not saying that. Implementing a transfer fee on high-end property sales and expanding public housing. Santana also says he would push for green infrastructure in all new buildings, especially in city-owned properties. Santana says he wants to expand his recent work making city services and resources more accessible across all Boston neighborhoods like the City Hall and the GO Truck. So some of you might remember there was a truck. It was, looked like kind of a mail truck, but it was painted differently. And you could go to um, a local place. You could go to like downtown crossing. It's supposed to go into City Hall, and there was a truck there. And it was probably next to the post office truck, too. And you could go in there. You can get certain basic stuff taken care of. So now another newbie. Bridget Nee Walsh. Bridget Nee Walsh actually ran for this before. So she wasn't elected, but this is her second time running. Somebody call me up and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this is the second time running. Where the candidate lives, South Boston. What the candidate does. Nee Walsh is an iron worker and has been a member of the local seven iron workers union for 17 years. She is also the owner of Southeast Own an Irish import shop in South Boston. Where the candidate stands. Nee Walsh says she's extremely concerned about the state of Boston public schools 
She advocates for offering tutoring, tutoring services and vocational programs to all BPS students. Nee Walsh also calls for more responsible redevelopment to address the city's affordable housing crisis. If elected, Nee Walsh says she would push to legalize the construction accessory dwelling unit as of right. She also reports the city's Squares and Streets initiative, which would update zoning in Boston's popular and transit-heavy neighborhood centers. That is Bridget Nee Walsh. Not a newbie to the game. This is her second time running for at-large city councilor. I don't really remember how well she did last time. Bottom line, she didn't win. Now she's going for the win. Catherine Vitale. I think it's Vitale. Where the candidate lives, Dorchester. Or if some of us have grown up near Dorchester. What the candidate does, according to her campaign website, Vitale lost her job working for a home health agency due to COVID-19 vaccine requirements. She went out to become an she went out to become an outspoken anti-vaccine activist and was once arrested for allegedly pushing a police officer while protesting at a city hall press conference. Vitali denies that she pushed the officer and the charges were later dropped. Where the candidate stands. On the issues, Vitali is opposed to overdevelopment in Boston as well as the expansion of bike and bus lanes. She supports a fully elected Boston school committee. Got a couple more candidates, and then we're going to give you some more information about why voting is important. Sean Nelson, where the candidate lives. Dorchester, what the candidate does. A Dorchester native and Marine Corps veteran, Nelson now works as a certified nursing assistant. He's a CNA, oh yay. Nelson's website says he is running to represent Boston residents who feel ignored and, and unrepresented by the current government where the candidate stands as a fellow anti-vaccine activist. He is running on a similar platform as Vitali. He, op he opposes bike lanes, supports a fully elected school committee, and wants to create youth programs designed to keep juveniles busy and off the streets to combat violence. That is Sean Nelson. Clifton Braithwaite where the candidate lives, Mattapan. What the candidate does, Braithwaite is a longtime community organizer who most recently worked on Suffolk County Sheriff Steve Thompson's campaign. He's worked on a lot of people's campaign, most recently in Steve Thompson's campaign, but a lot. Where the candidate stands, and that's not a bad thing. This shows civic engagement, right? Braithwaite says, or Braithwaite says his own bid is centered around strengthening our community through equality, justice, and transparency. In an interview with Boston Herald, he said he supports switching to a fully elected school committee and opposes the road diet being implemented in West Roxbury. Opposes the road diet being implemented in West Roxbury. I'm sorry, I'm not familiar. Um, I know that all the candidates are out tonight. It's the night before. Election day, dressing polls and making sure their poll workers are straight and doing all sorts of last minute phone calling and that kind of stuff. And so um, before we get to the district candidates, what I want to do is let you know that you are watching on another level. We're trying to bring your consciousness to another level. For those of you who watch television, thank you. For those of you who watch cable television, you'd rather get your information, your news this way. We are trying to give you information to motivate you to go vote or to motivate someone else to go vote. Registration for this particular election is over, but if you're registered, go vote. If you have a child with you, bring your child to go vote with you. They can, um, it's not the levers anymore. They can circle the little dots with the little marker pen and for those of you who have already voted thank you so much for your service this is honor level i'm the host and the producer sharon hinton stay with us we've got some more information for you friends brothers and sisters in the struggle for human dignity and freedom i am here to represent the 
struggle that has gone on for 300 or more years, a struggle to be recognized as citizens in a country in which we were born. I have had about 40 or 50 years of struggle, ever since a little boy on the streets of Norfolk called me a I struck him back, and then I had to learn Boston Neighborhood Network's 102.9 FM is offering a course of radio production that can get you started. For more information, please head over to bnnmedia.org backslash services backslash workshops. Every election, black voters have increasing power in Democratic primaries. In fact, black voters make up about 20% of all Democratic voters, according to data from the Pew Research Center. But one of the most well-known civil rights activists in our state, now in her 90s, wants to know if young voters know voting matters. Here's Adrian. Ahead of Super Tuesday, civil rights pioneer Josie Johnson is curious about black voters. How are we gonna urge our people to truly think about voting and voting rights? in the serious form that our, that our ancestors believed and died for. Johnson risked her life in the late 50s and 60s fighting for voting fairness. We talked to her about suppression of the black vote last month. Well, darling, that's the whole new struggle. At the end of every interview, I say, what else can you share that I haven't asked? And Josie flipped the script. I'm interested in your generation of black people and their sense of the right to vote. So we put out a call on social media asking voters to respond. I'm Miles Mendez, I'm 18 years old. This will be my first time voting. My name is Robert Harper, I'm 26 years old. This will be my third time voting in the presidential election. Do they feel that their elders, ancestors, have created an environment for them to want to vote and to be active and engaged? Um, I'm not really sure. There's a gap between older African-Americans who are active and participating in policy and people my age. Um, a lot of folks my age don't understand you know, what Super Tuesday is or what the importance of it is. Uh, a lot of folks don't feel that their voice is um, impactful, not only at a local uh, level, but also on a larger scale. I just learned today that uh, voting on Tuesday is going to be a big part of what comes in November. I really want to know how our young people feel about the society today. Do they feel safe? In the United States today, I would say I, I feel safe. Um, but I do not feel politicians and policies are um, working in the best interest of people who look like me. We don't always have the fair rights. We have got to keep teaching 
but we also have to prove that it matters and that things change. So many of our people don't see change. I think it's our opportunity as younger people to kind of take up what, they, what they've left off and uh, do the best we can. History shows that if we show up to the polls and vote, we have the power to influence outcomes. I saw war. I saw We have the power to influence outcomes. You know, Julia Mejia, who is uh, running for re-election, who is the incumbent, one of the incumbent at-large city councilors, won by one vote. So you can't convince her that one vote doesn't matter because that's, after a recount was called, she won by one vote. Hi, I'm your host, Sharon Hinton, uh, producer, and the host at um, On Another Level. I'm here by myself by no accident. Um, this show is very intentional, and, but there was another guest who was supposed to be here, um, a sci child psychologist, and we'll schedule her at another time. Uh, we wanted to talk about the trauma and the effects of the pandemic on learning on children and also the effects of gun violence and domestic violence on children. So, children. so the, the effects of trauma on children, specifically children of color, will have her another time. But we're talking about the election. The election is tomorrow. Now, if you see this show on a rerun on Thursday or you hear it about on the radio part, part of this um, cable cast, ooh, I got a phone caller. So, phone caller, can you tell me your name and where you're calling from, please? My name is Anthony. I'm calling from Roxbury. Hi, Anthony from Roxbury. I know you have some intelligent comments. I recognize your voice. What's up? Yes, my comment goes like this. The names of the four C council that law you mentioned, again, I'm a observer. One thing that pops up, well, didn't pop up in this case, was none of them supported or or going to support T. Michael Thomas, People's Academy, because this man has been doing this thing, the People's Academy, for almost 20 years, and yet none of the politicians had, yes, none of the politicians had given him the support that this man needs. So, wait, 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 let me back up, because I know T. Michael. He did say that Tanya Anderson Fernandez was the one that was supporting him, and that the proposed land for the People's Academy is actually in her district. But the other ones, go ahead. Again, I stand corrected, too. And the second thing is, everything was talking about school-related, too, mm -hmm. which the game wall, I'm very advocate in schools, but the education system, the American education system, anyway, has been broken since day one for black people. So I don't hear any action plan from none of these city councilors that are incumbent in fixing a broken system. That's my problem. So, um, did you know that Councilor Julia Mejia is the chair of the Education Committee on the City Council? Not until now. Oh. Did you know that she had a hearing a couple of weeks ago about um, the hiring and firing and uh, hiring and firing of, of black teachers and black educators in Boston Public School? She literally, she had it at the City Council Chambers maybe about three weeks ago. And the superintendent and two of the superintendent staff was there but they said they had to be at the beginning of the hearing, and they only stayed for about 30 minutes, and they left, and the hearing was still going on. That was that during the day. That tells me that it's halfway, yeah? Well, it tells me there needs to be another hearing, right? Um, so who, did you vote already? Did you have an early vote, or are you going to vote tomorrow? No, I didn't do any early voting, and yes, I'm going to vote, too. Any idea of who you like, who you don't like, and why? Well, right now I don't like either one, though, because they're not voting for my interest, because, again, I'm supporting T. Michael Thomas. And also, if they really care about, quote-unquote, democracy, then they should have pushed, at least all of them anyway, a two-term system. No going over two terms. Four years is long enough for anybody to be officer, because last time I checked, Boston is supposed to be the quote-unquote cradle of democracy or the cradle of just the United States of America. And they want to set a real example for all the other politicians, including the one down in Washington, then they should have forced, not forced, pushed for a two-term limit for the city councilors all the way up to the governor. Because we've seen this too many times before. Recently, the late Diane Feinstein, she
she died in office, and mm. look what happened. Huh? Yes, she did. Um, so, so you're going to go to the polls and vote, but you're not going to vote for anybody? I mean, it's only city no. councilor. No, I didn't say that. I said oh. I am going to. I am going to vote. Huh? Oh, okay. I, I, I'm going to vote for my district councilor. So, who's your district councilor? Well, he's not. Who's your uh, current district? Your current district councilor. Well, he dropped out too. Oh, okay. And I am going to vote for one of the four city councilors at large, and I'm going for Julia Mahita because again, she's very passionate about the education system and trying to at least fix it too. Okay. So if you so thank you for your phone call. I appreciate you, Anthony from Roxbury. Take care. God bless. Um, for those of you who don't know, if you vote for only one candidate of the four candidates, it's called a bullet vote. So if you vote for one at-large city council candidate, then that one gets all of your four votes. Just an FYI, in case you didn't know. Now you know. So it's a called a bullet vote, and one vote would count as four votes. And that would actually give them a boost, which is important. So... What did I do? I think I, I took off my, uh, my little notes here. So here's the deal. You don't have any more time to um, register to vote for this election. Some of you guys may have thought that you were going to vote in one particular place and you get there and they go, oh no, your district line has shifted. So to avoid that, um, you can go on boston.gov, look in the election department, you can put in your address and it will tell you all of your elected officials for where you live and where your polling place is. My name is Sharon Hinton. This is called On Another Level. We're trying to bring you to another level of engagement for those people who are black and African-American in this country. If you're not registered and or you don't vote, I wish I could reach through the screen and just smack you like boom shakalaka. But instead, I want to smack you with knowledge. Stay tuned, stay with us. Here's some more information about why you should vote black, white, or indifferent, because voting matters. In this scene from the 2012 movie, Abraham Lincoln spells out the terms of Reconstruction. All they heard was the first time any president has ever made mention of Negro voting. In 1865, he said freed slaves who were intelligent or had served as soldiers should be allowed to vote. The 14th Amendment, passed in 1868, guaranteed this right as part of the full citizenship accorded to African-American men. But for much of the 20th century, voting remained a contentious issue. The 19th Amendment, ratified in 1920, gave women the right to vote, but the racial divide remained. Some states continued to limit voting either through measures like the poll tax or direct intimidation of African-American voters. In the South, there were even whites-only primaries. This is Sam Tannenhaus of the New York Times. The first modern Civil Rights Act was signed by President Eisenhower in 1957. It created a federal commission authorized to enforce voting rights. Senator Strom Thurmond conducted the longest filibuster in history, more than 24 hours, in an effort to thwart the bill. But it passed. The location for the meeting with Senator Ribicon. Still, voting was not equal for all. Massive resistance in the Deep South was organized to keep blacks from the polls, and legal enforcement was hampered by all-white juries. Voting rights became a central issue in the civil rights movement. I think this march will go down as one of the greatest. In 1965, the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. led the march from Selma to Montgomery for better voting laws. The nation was shocked by images of the marchers being attacked. And less than five months later, President Lyndon Johnson signed the Voting Rights Act of 1965. It barred states and districts from curtailing the vote on the basis of race, color, or language. It is wrong, deadly wrong, to deny any of your fellow Americans the right to vote in this country. 
Sections 4 and 5 of the bill included special provisions to ensure fair voting practices in a number of states, most of them in the South. Voting rights advocates say some citizens there continue to be disenfranchised. But the Supreme Court's close ruling on Tuesday, striking down Section 4, suggests that conditions have changed since 1965, and it is left to Congress to reconsider the act. So, welcome back. We've only got a few more minutes, and if you can put the number up, we can have some people call in. I want to know if you're registered to vote. If you're registered to vote, if you're going to vote, and if you're going to vote, if you have any particular candidates that you're voting for. Now, there are 13, uh, at, there are 13 city council candidates, four at large. I mean, the, excuse me. There are 14, 13 city councilors, four at large, and nine district. Whew. Got that out. Can we say that again? So because there were no... There weren't enough people to run at large to have a preliminary, which is usually the number of seats plus one. Um, there was no runoff for the at-large city councilors. But there are definitely candidates. And we read that in the early, on the early segment of the show. So there are also people that are running in different districts. I'm trying to look at this. I actually was paying attention. But... Who is the Boston District 4 City Councilor right now? Brian Worrell, W-O-R-R-E-L-L, -L -L, is the Boston City Councilor for District 4. District 4 includes Mattapan, Dorchester, and parts of Jamaica Plain and Roslindale, right? So almost everyone, there's some, some city councilors that are running unopposed, and I had that before the break. Who is the head of the Boston City Council? Ed Flynn. In January 2022, Council President Ed Flynn was unanimously elected by his colleagues to serve as Council President. He is one of the people that is running unopposed. He's on the ballot by himself. Now, when you're on the ballot by yourself and you figure, well, there's nobody else on there. So, but what, what makes a difference is out of the potential voters in the district, if you're the only counselor, if you're the only candidate on the ballot, theoretically, every single voting person should vote for you. So if you're the only counselor on the ballot or the only candidate on the ballot and say your district has 30,000 and you get elected in with 2,000 votes, yeah, you won, but then people that are your constituents, people that are your um, co-counselors are going to look at you like, meh, meh, meh. Like you couldn't even pull most of your district and you're the only one running. So even if you think there's only one person on the ballot, of course they're going to win. If that's your candidate, if you like what they've been doing in your district, whether or not you've been getting your trash picked up or your streets have light, you know, lights, I mean, this is what city councilors do. Um, city councilors are supposed to take, of the most, take care of the most immediate issues in your neighborhood, the district ones. The at-large is supposed to deal with all across Boston. So there's four at-large there are three incumbents running. Got it? So you have five votes. I'm doing this. I feel like I'm on Sesame Street. Five, five. You have five votes tomorrow. Or if you decide to vote for one at-large city councilor, that one person will get all four votes. Got it? I don't even know if we have any more um, clips or anything. But so city elections, right? Let's see, where are we, where are we? And next year is also an election year, 2024. But people are expecting it to be a bigger um, election. So right now, here we go. The candidates for the at-large city council seats. Ruthie Louis-Jean. Louis-Jean. I'm sorry, Ruthie. You're a friend of mine. I'm sorry I'm butchering up your name. Um, she's an incumbent. Julia Mejia, incumbent. Erin Murphy, incumbent. A lot of people are saying that Erin Murphy is positioning herself to run for mayor. I didn't hear it from her, but that's what I heard. Clifton Brathwaite, Braithwaite, Bridget Nee Walsh, Sean Nelson, 
Henry Santana and Catherine Vitale. Those are all of the candidates for the at-large four seats. District one, Gabriella Coletta. She um, is an incumbent, but she just got there, but she's the only one in there right now. Um, Edward Flynn, he's in District 2, a lot of that is Chinatown. He's only running by himself. In District 3, there is John Fitzgerald and Joel Richards. In District 4, there's Brian Worrell. In District 5, there's Enrique Pepin, who is backed by the current mayor, uh, Walsh, and Jose Ruiz, who is backed by the former mayor, Marty Walsh. Mayor Wu is backing Enrique Pepin. Marty Walsh is backing Jose Ruiz. In District 6, District 6 was the district that Kendra Lara was the incumbent. She's in there now, but she did not make enough votes. She had some personal stuff and issues that came out in the press. And so she did not um, end up placing on the ballot as an incumbent. So William King and Benjamin Weber are actually on the ballot. District 7 has Tanya Anderson and Althea Garrison on the ballot. And you've probably seen Althea Garrison before because she's been a state rep before and she's been a city councilor before. When um, Ayanna Presley stepped down and they needed someone to step up, they took the next highest voter and that was Althea Garrison. So she was in there for a minute. District 8, you've got Sharon Durkin and Montez Haywood. Sharon Durkin is the incumbent. In District 7, Tanya Anderson, again, and Althea Garrison, Tanya Anderson is the incumbent. In District 9, Liz Braden and Jacob De Deblecourt, Deblecourt, sorry, Jason, Jacob, Jacob Deblecourt, D-E, capital B-L-E-C-O-U-R-T, Jacob Deblecourt, and Liz Braden. Liz Braden is the incumbent. Those are the people, incumbents, districts. Let me see, why is there a check on these people? I don't know why there's a check on these people. Oh, those are the people that ran. So in all of the at-large city council seats, all of the people that actually qualified and had um, signatures are on the ballot. Ruthie Louis-Jean, Julia Mejia, Erin Murphy, incumbents. Clifton Brathwaite, Bridget Nee Walsh, Sean Nelson, Henry Santana, and Catherine Vitale. They are new people, but they're all going to be in the ballot. Those are Adelaide City Councilors. District 1, Gabriella Coletta. She's the incumbent. She's the one that's on the ballot. District 2, Edward Flynn. He's the incumbent. He's the only one on the ballot in District 2. District 3, there were all, these were all the people that, that qualified, that had signatures. John Fitzgerald, Jennifer Johnson, Barry Lawton, Matthew Patton, Joel Richards, Ann Walsh, and Rosalind Warnham. But the people who will be on the ballot are John Fitzgerald and Joel Richards. In District 4, you've got one, he's the incumbent, Brian Rowell. In District 5, there was Ricardo Arroyo, who's the, who was the incumbent, Enrique Pepin, Jose Ruiz, and Jean-Claude Sanon. But the two people that made it onto the ballot Enrique Pepin and Jose Ruiz, Ricardo Arroyo, who is the incumbent, who is currently going to be in office, and one of the um, dynasty of the Arroyo family. You have Felix Arroyo Sr., who is stepping down as Register of Deeds. You have Felix Arroyo Jr., who actually ran for mayor, and then he was working for the city. He was a city councilor. I believe he was city councilor. Um, and Ricardo Arroyo, city councilor of District 5, and he is no longer on the ballot. So Enrique Pepin and Jose Ruiz are on the ballot. In District 6, it was Kendra Lara who was the incumbent, William King and Benjamin Weber. Kendra Lara did not make the ballot. So William King and Benjamin Weber are going to be on the ballot in District 6. In District 7, um, there was Tanya Anderson, the incumbent, Althea Garrison, Jerome King, Roy Owens, and Padma Scott. On your ballot in District 7 will be Tanya Anderson, the incumbent, and Althea Garrison. In District 8, Sharon Durkin, the incumbent, and Montez Haywood. They'll both be on the ballot. District 9, 
Liz Braden, the incumbent, and Jacob Deblecourt. I'm sorry, Jacob. Um, and they will be on the ballot. There's absolutely no reason not to vote unless you're not registered, in which case you can't vote. Um, the demographic data for Boston is kind of interesting, right? The population of Boston is 675,647. In Massachusetts, it's 7,029,917, 52% white in Boston. Uh, in Massachusetts, it's 76.6%. In Boston, 242 black and African-American. 9.8 Asian, 0.3 Native American, 0.1% Pacific Islander, two or more is 7.2%, and Hispanic Latino America, American, Hispanic or Latino is 19.5%. The graduation high school graduation rate in Boston is 87.9%, and college graduation rate is 51.3%. The next part I'm going to tell you is laughable to me. Um, the median household income is $76,000, meaning that's what you need to make to be able to live here. <laughs> and the persons below the poverty level is 18%. You know, you go buy mass and cast, and I understand they just cleaned out the um, tents and everything today. It looks like it's more than that. But then again, people are saying there are more people there from other places. Um, do we have any more clips? Are we done with the clips? Yes? No? One more clip. Let's do one more clip real quickly. Despite the ratification of the 15th Amendment in 1870 that protected citizens' right to vote based on race and previous condition of servitude, things like poll taxes, literacy tests, and the grandfather clause were still allowed due to the Supreme Court's poor interpretation of the amendment. In United States v. Reese, William Garner, an African-American, was denied the right to vote by two election inspectors by the name of Hiram Reese and Matthew Fauci. Reese and Fauci said that Garner refused to pay the poll tax, but in reality, Garner tried to pay the tax but was refused by the tax collector. When this case eventually went to the Supreme Court, they determined that the language of the Enforcement Act of 1870 was too broad and that the 15th Amendment did not ban things like poll taxes and literacy tests. Over the decades, civil rights activists advocated against racial discrimination such as segregation, voter suppression laws, etc. The civil rights movement started to see major victories starting in the 1950s when the Supreme Court ruled in favor for civil rights with cases like Brown v. Board of Education. In short, after several nonviolent protests and sit-ins, the movement continued to gain national attention. On June 11, 1963, Kennedy proposed the Civil Rights Act of 1963, with no luck of it getting passed in the Rules Committee. In the same year, over 100,000 people marched on Washington to advocate for both civil and economic rights of African Americans. There, Martin Luther King gave his famous I Have a Dream speech. Unfortunately, in November of the same year, JFK was assassinated. With LBJ now being president and being the former Senate Majority Leader, he was able to get the bill passed in the House and passed in the Senate after a 54-day-long filibuster. The Civil Rights Act of 1964 banned discrimination based on sex and race and helped in the effort of desegregating schools. However, despite the amount of good the Civil Rights Act of 1964 did, it did not stop literacy tests and other means of voter suppression. With voter suppression in the South still alive, the civil rights protests continued. After the 1964 elections, the Southern Christian Leadership Conference led by Martin Luther King Jr. and the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee pushed for action from the federal government to protect racial minorities' voting rights. Starting in January 1965, civil rights leaders held demonstrations in Selma, Alabama. Unfortunately, on March 7, 1965, one of the marches were violently interrupted by police. Anywhere between 525 to 600 civil rights marchers walked out of Selma from the southeast on U.S. Highway 80. After the protesters crossed the Edmund Pettus Bridge, they met a wall of state troopers and county posse. John Cloud, the commanding officer, ordered the marchers to return home. Reverend Hosea Williams attempted to talk to the officer, but he made it very clear that there was nothing to discuss. Law enforcement then proceeded to knock many of the demonstrators down and beating them with nightsticks. Tear gas was fired and troopers charged on horseback into the crowd. Americans looked at the event in shock and horror once images of the event got out to the media. Seventeen of the demonstrators were hospitalized while fifty others were treated for less serious injuries. 
this horrible event became known as Bloody Sunday. Eight days after the event, President Lyndon Johnson sent a voting rights bill to Congress. Despite some hurdles, the Voting Rights Act of 1965 passed the Senate on May 26th and the House of Representatives on July 9th. Thanks to the Voting Rights Act of 1965, literacy tests are now banned, and now there can be federal oversight of voter registration in places that have less than 50% of a non-white unregistered voter population. Another part of the bill did allow the U.S. Attorney General to investigate how poll taxes are used in state and local elections, however poll taxes were banned on the state and local level in 1966. Election Minute out. Thank you so much for being with us this evening. This has been, or is, a live edition, the breakdown of the election, the municipal races, the district races, the at-large city council races. The most important thing is that you participate. That's what a democracy is about. That's what a democracy is about here in this country and also here at BNN Media. We have an annual meeting next week and a new per person will be elected to the board of the Boston Neighborhood Network Media, and so we encourage you to get involved in Boston Neighborhood Network Media. It may look like you can't do it. You absolutely can. You can look at the website, and you can look at all the workshops and see if you want to sign up for a workshop. You, too, can be a producer here. You can also join the Boston Media Producers Group. We have a Facebook page, and there are plenty of people that will help you become a news reporter, a news producer, a host, a camera person, an audio person. There's so much to learn, so much to do. You can be part of history. You can record history. There are plenty of producers here who actually tell you about what's going on in our community, in our city, in our state, around the world, and around the country. So you too can be a BNN Media producer. Thank you for being here tonight. I'm encouraging you to vote. If you've already voted, thank you. God bless you. Take care of yourself and each other. See you next time. Get it twisted. Black women insisted. Show the world how they resisted. Alabama got rocked. The world was shocked that they.